Sowing, growing, keeping. Today, um, today, actually, the leadership are hoping that we launch a strategy. Okay? If we're going to launch a strategy, it's something about, in relation to, um, in relation ultimately to seeing more and more people follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Now that of course is easier said than done and if I were to ask you separately what you feel about that or perhaps the word evangelism you might come up with quite a lot of different answers. Some of you might have experienced evangelism in, and been disappointed by it. Some of you may have a concept of evangelism as just sort of speaking about Jesus and somebody immediately becoming a Christian and it doesn't work and you can't do it. Do you see what I mean? So we want to take a sensible look of what it means for somebody ultimately to become a Christian. And we want to introduce a sensible strategy by which we can encourage people along that route without manipulating people, without them feeling at the end of of this or that um, event or series of events that somehow or another we've tricked them Do you see what I mean? Uh, Because that would be utterly counterproductive. So we want to sow the seed of the good news, and we want that seed to grow, and eventually we're trusting God for it to to reap fruit, a harvest for his kingdom. On my best days, I'm passionate about this. On my best days. Other days, I look around me and say, can God do anything in this world of ours? So, I want to introduce this by saying that I was brought up in London. My first 30 years were in London. It was before the days before you had computers in offices, so it was really a long time ago. In fact, the year I became a Christian, um, 1969, was the first time anybody had even stood on the moon. So I am ancient. But London, I guess, has always been a city which rushes and is noisy and uh, the busyness. You can't get it out your ears or your head or out your feet. So that uh, I used to catch, um, in one of my jobs I caught the train to London Bridge and tramped over London Bridge with the thousands of other people who did it. In the days when men still wore bowler hats and carried rolled umbrellas with the Times Financial or the Financial Times under their arm. I didn't, but they did. And you couldn't walk slowly, you had to march, because that was the pace of London. Or the other job when I got on the new Victoria line and went up to Victoria, and the the trains and the tubes were just packed. I used to walk the seven miles home sometimes just, just to get the noise and the busyness out of my head. So I assumed that power was somehow locked away in activity, in, in 
the haste of business. And then God called to me to be a minister, but the place of that call was down in, in Devon, in a place called Braunton, where we were given a, a, a cottage for a holiday period, and I needed a job, and I got a job in a pottery in Barnstable. It's now moved out of Barnstable, I think. And they had a machine in this, um, in this pottery because they, they scooped up their own clay from some pits up the river, whatever it is, beginning with tea. And uh, they brought this clay with all its thickness and, and, and shale and all kinds of things in it. And they had this machine which had a hammer which probably went from the floor as far as the top of that word sewing, if not bigger. And this hammer just went up and down half the day, pounding, pounding, pounding this clay until it was workable into pots and flower pots and things like that. And to me, again, I thought, that is power. And I introduced these ideas of power, the busyness and the hectic lifestyle of London and this power. I kind of interpreted that kind of stuff into the power of God. God smashes into things and changes them. God works when we work. Do you see what I mean? At such hectic pace. And then during that period, I took a walk into the countryside in the Devonian Hills some of you have heard this before, forgive me, but it's made a deep impression on me, you see. And I went for a long walk because we were actually there to say, Lord, what do you want, really want me to do with my life? Our lives. And the call to be a minister hadn't come to me at this point. I went out and, and found myself out in, these, in this landscape of beautiful, beautiful rolling hills. And it was the winter. And as I... I walked for a long while and then turned to walk back. And as I turned to walk back, there was this vast brown-tilled field in the distance. And as I walked along, I couldn't believe my eyes because it was brown, but it was shimmering green. Now, I'm a Londoner. I'm a townie. I couldn't imagine what this shimmer was. I thought I was imagining things until it suddenly struck me that this was a million first blades of a winter harvest. So flimsy, each one in themselves, that all you could see was a brown field. But in the gentle breeze, all these flimsy little Green blades just together caused a shimmer. And it suddenly occurred to me that there is power. There is a million-fold resurrection power taking place before my eyes. And I almost missed it and never heard it. And it just made me think, in this business, which is God's business, we depend upon the invisible resurrection power 
of a living God and Saviour. And if the other things we say this morning seem to, to strain that out, put your hand up and correct me. Because behind everything, there is a Saviour who died for us, but who is risen. And who exercises a resurrection power which is awesome, beyond machines and busyness. It's the power of God. And then my first church was in um, a place called Crete St. Michael. If you ever look it up in the Baptist, uh, Baptist handbook, you won't see it there because I wasn't an accredited minister, accredited minister so it doesn't count. <laughs> but I was there. And it's a very rural area. The, the Taunton Bridgewater <laughs> Canal passes through. And I would often walk up the canal just to get away and pray. And living in London, I knew the seasons because we played conkers and other silly things. But I never understood the seasons. Until I lived in that country village. And I walked up and down the canal. And I saw not just the leaves falling, but I saw the land sleeping and then coming to life on a bigger scale than I'd ever seen. But I saw it coming to life because the farmers had tilled the land and they'd planted their seeds and the crops were coming up and you saw those first blades and then you saw the growth and then you saw the harvest appearing before your eyes. But over a period of time, it wasn't time-lapse photography. You went out day after day and then you noticed it. It's like watching a child grow. My daughter used to stand on tiptoes to try and see over the, over the draining board and she never made it. But she did make it. Every day she did it. And then one day there was this squeal. Because suddenly between yesterday and today she'd made those extra few millimetres and now she could see over the top. The seasons seem to be like that. And in our busyness, in our haste, and our desire for things to happen now, we forget that Jesus told an awful lot of parables which talked about the seasons. I'm just going to read one of them now. It's so brief. Don't blink or, or yawn so you can't hear. You'll miss it. It's from Mark chapter 4. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now then, people we want, would like to become Christians are not objects. They're not bum fodder of the future. These are people 
for whom Christ died and for whom he is risen. But Jesus talked about seasons and he talked about patience and he talked about this kind of growth. So in our desire to see people becoming Christians, assuming that we have that desire, we actually have to take people seriously and where they're at seriously in their own walk of faith or not faith. So our strategy has to take that into account. And that's something that we're going to be looking at this morning and then saying, let's adopt this strategy together and go at it gently and peaceably, not dragging people into the kingdom, but loving people graciously into the kingdom. I'm going to ask you to, for a few minutes to do something which you've probably done before, may or may not enjoy. I'm just going to ask you to turn to somebody. Husband and wife is fine. Just talk for a minute, either about the week you've just had, or the week you're expecting, or a mixture of them both. Okay? Now I'm asking the other one just to listen. Okay? So we do this for four minutes. One of you speak for four minutes, and then the other one, tell that person what you just learned about them. Okay? And then we do it the other way round. Now the point of doing this is um, simply to underline how good it is to know you've been listened to. Do you understand? And when we want people to become Christians, we don't want to be battering them, do we? With all the answers we believe we have. We have to interact and listen and relate. So it's just to remind us of that that I'm asking you to do this. If you feel awkward doing it, well, I can't make you. And I'm not going to try. Okay. But just for one minute, would you just get into pairs and beginning in five seconds, one of you start. Beginning five, oh no, five, four, three, two, one. I'll stop you in a minute. We're going to change over in five seconds. Now, could the listener still, could the listener now relate back? 
to the other person what they told you. Okay. Now, could you turn it round? Will the speaker become the listener and the other way round for one minute? Thank you. Okay, now then feed back what you've just heard. Okay, thank you for thank you for doing that. Uh, you may want to continue that later on. Who knows? Over a couple of tea, husbands and wives, you've just talked to each other. <laughs> husbands and wives, you've just listened to each other. <laughs> um, I once was uh, invited to go to an for acu- acupuncture. I've never been certain whether one sh- a Christian should go to acupuncture, but I just went trusting God. I said, God, this is in your hands. And I was astonished because for a whole hour, and I went to two sessions, it didn't actually, it didn't actually heal the condition that I had, but I went home from the first one, and there was something about having been there which I just couldn't quite put my finger on. It was just awesome. And I realized that for one hour... Somebody else had given me their undivided attention. 
and to be honest. It doesn't happen very often, does it? It was an awesome sense of being recognized as a human being. And so we've done that at the beginning because we want to talk about how people become Christians, but we're talking about people who are real people and need recognition. And we don't actually care about them, forget about everything we say. This is not about statistics. It's not about being a bigger church than anyone else. This is about people for whom Jesus died. Okay, so... Let's hope this works. Hmm. What does Jesus say about sowing, growing, and keeping? This is a parable that probably you can repeat as we go. I'm not asking you to. begins at Luke chapter 8 and we're going to read from verse 4 to 8 or I am Jesus went out preaching and a, a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him so he said in a parable A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. But some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Though I don't know how he said that. Anyone has ears to hear? Let him hear. Well, his disciples asked him what on earth the parable meant. So he said this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy but these have no root and they believe for a while and then in a time of testing they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked 
by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit doesn't mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and they bear fruit with patience. I really don't want to strain the meaning of that. It's difficult not to sometimes. But we want people to know Jesus and some people... The seed may be good, but the soil is hard and trodden down. We've all known people like that. And maybe at some point or another, you were one of those people. God forbid that having believed you become one of those people again, though it is possible. Because the kind of things that treads down the soil so that the seed bounces off it are injustices and uh, the media does a great job at playing the devil's, the devil's game. Because if there's paedophilia in the church, and we know that there has been in all kinds of places, the media, instead of mourning over the ruin of Joseph, trumpet it and sensationalize it for profit. But what happens is that cynicism moves in and distrust and everybody becomes tarred with the brush of those few wicked people who have been exposed. Or people go to churches and churches aren't always loving places. And people get stamped on and hurt or Arrogance tries to change them into people they can't be. And so people get fed up. Now, if we're talking with somebody like that, something has to happen to the soil, doesn't it? Before the seed can find a place to germinate. And the people are not to be despised or cast off, but to be loved and listened to. Uh, some soil preparation has to go on and we need to know where people are at stony ground Uh, probably some of you could give a very eloquent description of people on stony ground I'm not sure that I can really But um, John the Baptist had to prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. And in preparing the way for a king to come, the passageway by which he was going to come was cleared of stones and uh, pitfalls and things were filled in. I knew a man in Somerset who became a Christian because he had been told that Jesus would make him happy. He really wanted to be happy because he's one of the most miserable souls I've ever met. 
So he really wanted to be happy. And this was the gospel that he was given. It was bad seed, I think. Because Jesus doesn't give happiness, he gives joy. And joy is the fruit of obedience. As like the laughter of your child when they've really pleased you and they see your happiness because they've done the washing up or they didn't pinch their brother in the car today. Do you see what I mean? It's the joy that it brings you and the joy that it brings them. Jesus gives us joy. But this man wanted happiness and he received or believed he received what he thought was good news really gladly. But it's only a couple of weeks ago when stuff happened that really made him miserable. He said, stuff that. Doesn't work, does it? The soil wasn't deep. It has to be turned over for the seed to find a place. Thorns. These are the cares and, and the pleasures of this world, aren't they, Jesus said. Um, there has been a danger. I'm an evangelical, and I've fallen into this danger. Okay? The danger is the assuming that a simple hundred-word prayer is sufficient to make someone a Christian. It is, of course... Because God can hear a silent prayer. And many people who have prayed the sinner's prayer have genuinely found Lord because what was happening in their heart was real. Let's go back, sorry. What was happening in their hearts was real and they were reaching out to Jesus. But there are things in that sinner's prayer which if people don't understand, they're really going to get hurt further down the line. For instance... When we pray that Jesus will be our Lord, do we understand from the good news that that means, and it's using a word, I'm really glad we used in one of the songs today, that we surrender our selfish ambitions and we surrender ourselves to the purpose and will of God. We no longer serve ourselves, but him for our sake, died and was raised again. Do you understand? So, people don't understand that. And then the business of this life comes along and they wither away without bearing fruit. But Jesus said, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest good heart and bear fruit with patience. I suggest that we try and make people Christians too soon sometimes. What about the soil? What have they heard? Do they understand it? Are they serious? They will bear fruit. Do you see what I mean? So that in speaking about evangelism or bringing people to Jesus, we need to take these things, people into account. What is this? Oh, that's us.
we need to take those things into account in the things that we do here in this church. But of course, those things aren't the only things we do here in this church. Because most of you don't even get a chance to be here in the midweek, do you? You're in hospitals and building sites and business enterprises and schools and looking at x-rays and doing all kinds of weird things which I wouldn't have the faintest knowledge about. And you're meeting, well, I guess between you, you meet a good few thousand people a week. Some of them regularly. And in the places, you are the minister, this is the ministry of the church as well. And when we talk about taking the good news of Jesus out into the workplace, that is a really scary thing to talk about because the workplace has got its own rules and it's, uh, and it's the things you're allowed to do and aren't allowed to do. So what we're talking about in terms of sowing, growing, keeping, can you bear them in mind concerning attitudes in the workplace? Because it's very, to my mind, very relevant. And you'll see why in a moment. I hope, anyway. I'm going to get you talking again in a minute. Um, Again, I can't obligate you to. Here's somebody's bright idea, somebody called Engel. It's his bright idea for saying, hmm, when we want people thinking about evangelism and stuff, we need to be aware where people are at. Some people have no idea. It would be stupid taking somebody no idea to a Billy Graham thing and expecting them to become a Christian that day with all the understanding that they need, though I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that. But you wouldn't normally do that. And then there are people who are, well, they're just a bit aware. So that a whole load of people come here to preschool and cafe and to the seniors' lunch and... uh, and the youth group during the week, and so on. Many of them have no idea of the good news of Jesus. But some of them start to become aware because of the good lives and the faithfulness and the service and the love and, yes, even the prayers of people who are working here. So those people actually say, well, I had no idea but actually, I used to be very cynical of church and I thought they were all paedophiles and no good and uh, it was all totally boring, but actually, these people aren't too bad. (laughs) And they're very kind and thoughtful and so they're just becoming aware that perhaps Christian faith actually has a social side to it, which is good and, and just and fair and uh, then 
they want to know one or two things and they have some grasp and then they want to know some more and they become quite close because now they're building up their knowledge of what it means to be a Christian and then there are people on the brink. Now then. There we are. This is all I ask you to speak about. It's dead simple. Include your family and the people in the workplace and people in midweek, if you're here in the midweek, and your neighbours. And just ask yourself where you reckon most of the people you know are on this scale. Okay, I'll give you two minutes. Just talk about it. Where do you think they are? The majority of people. You might want to say why you think they're like that. You might want to argue with the scale. Take me to part. Take me apart afterwards. Okay? If I didn't give you enough time, forgive me, or if you've talked about football results because you had more than enough time. Um, just, as a, just a straw vote. How many people, how many of you would say that the majority of the people you know are around here? There's, well, I'd say there was probably half the hands, perhaps a th- just over a third of the hands. Around there? A few more. Up there? Yes. Um, how many people think the majority of the people are up there? You do? The, the people you know, okay? Very fair comment, thank you. So, um, and you do? People you know, okay. That's, you answered the question, that is great. Um, I was shocked um, by a young 13, was she 13? Or have I given her extra years? I think she was 12 down in Watchet when one Christmas I decided to do the whole Christmas story for these children in a church, a church club. Um, From the time the angel appeared to Gabriel to the time the Holy Family went to Egypt 
because they'd never heard the full story. They'd only heard it in bits and pieces, and it was all mixed up with Diwali and all kinds of other things which they, they learned at school, so they didn't know. And one little girl said to me, after I'd done this whole thing, the presentation with pictures, you know, sort of Lego men and stuff, lasted about 15 to 20 minutes. She came up to me, she said, would you do that again next week, please, Dave? So I did it again the next week. And she came up to me after the second week, and she said, Dave... Am I right? What you're saying is Christmas has got something to do with Jesus. Now, she was 12 years old. And she'd been to a church school, which didn't do much church stuff. And so what did her family know? The following year, she knocked on my door, because she lived in the same street as me. She says, Dave, you know people sing special songs at Christmas... Have you got a book with the words in, please, so I can show my mum? Now that level of ignorance is astonishing, isn't it? But you see, it was a level of ignorance which didn't belong to the 12-year-old age range. It belonged to the mother age range. Are you with me? And we assume that people know a lot more about Christian faith than they actually do. And so many people are just turned off from it. And sometimes evangelical Christians, charismatic Christians, and perverse Christians have contributed to that quite a lot. Not everywhere. Not everywhere. So, if somebody moves from there to there, from one and perhaps they've got it in their heads that God isn't so bad and Christians actually aren't all hypocrites (laughs) then some movement has taken place isn't it and if that movement has taken place then a heart is more open to hear about that God who is good and those Christians who aren't hypocrites might have to say And if somebody moves from there to there, where they get the point so that Caroline sometimes um, has has run a thing called um, Christianity Explored, and people who come along midweek come, because they've seen what goes on in the cafe, and they want to know more. But the purpose of this, this sewing, is actually this to change people's attitudes, to begin to dig the soil, to fork the soil up so that it might be ready to take some seed. But then when it's ready to take some seed, the, um, the purpose of this is not to make people Christians. It is this growing process. It's to give people the, the seed or the stuff by which it, in thinking and and. and and thinking through, they can learn more about Jesus and the consequences of faith and what faith means all about. So they get to a point where they're beginning to say, hmm, so what does this mean for me? But the purpose of this sowing, what happens in the cafe and what happens in preschool 
is to bring people up there. And they do a blooming good job. Believe me. And evangelism has happened. And then next, there are those people who want to know more. And we want to put that into our strategy. Making it possible for people to know more. And of course, if they get to the point when thinking it through, they say, hang on a minute, this Jesus has done this. This Jesus preaches, teaches this. This Jesus is risen in this kind of way. Hang on a minute. That makes a demand on me. What must I do about this? Then the time for reaping has come, isn't it? Now then, I'm not saying that everybody's the same or that the process is always the same. I was sent to Sunday school and I learned a lot of the Bible at Sunday school before I was a Christian. And I, even before I was a Christian, this is hard to believe, but I went out preaching before I was a Christian. And I can point to at least one occasion when God did something extraordinary when I was preaching. And the only way I can explain it was he gave me an Old Testament anointing for the occasion. Because then I went off and did my own thing. And when I became a Christian, it seemed to people that I'd become a Christian. I was a Saul on the road. The light had blazed across me. But like Saul, an awful lot of stuff had gone on inside me. You see what I mean? So the process isn't the same for everybody, but the things which are necessary are the same for everybody. So we need a strategy. And our intention today, well, our desire today, is to say we're going to start, we've got a map there on that board. It's not full of very many things yet, but... Wrong bit of paper. Our intention is to develop a gentle rolling program okay, in which you, in your relationships and your friendships and interactions, befriend people and recognize where in terms of the soil they are and respond to them and, and care for them where they're at and where the same things are happening in here in their midweek stuff. And then growing, we're going to, um, we want to put on twice yearly at set times so we know it's going to happen twice yearly we want to put on a Christianity Explored now I was going to show a film clip but the time has gone or it's going so I'm not going to show you that film clip now you want to gather around afterwards I can show you an 11 minute film clip of the first Christianity Explored gathering the Christianity Explored is something that has already been done by Ruth and by Caroline it is a a short video. It's, it's alpha-ish, but not alpha. Okay? And it's sitting around and discovering the scriptures, looking at Mark, 
with the help of these little videos and discussing the things together to the point where people learn more and more about what the gospel is really about to the point where they discover the kind of demands that it's going to make on them. But I suggest that the purpose of that is not strictly to make Christians at the end of it. It is to give bulk and DNA to the seed, are you with me, that's to grow within them. Now then, the first of these courses is going to be on Wednesdays and it starts on Wednesday the 30th of April and it lasts for seven weeks. The second one will start in October and go on to uh, the 26th of October. What we're saying is that in the midweek stuff and in the youth stuff and in your friendships and so on, you, you, say, you know the people who, because of your friendship and because of your interaction and because of your interest in them, you know the people who might say, hey, you know, I'd like to know a bit more about this. I'm not ready to be a Christian. Don't expect me to be a Christian. But I'd really like to know about more about what you tick, what makes you tick. And to know more about this Jesus. This is an opportunity. But people won't come if you're not also praying and looking out. Do you see what I mean? Not twisting people's arms, not making false promises to them, not manipulating them, but genuinely looking and praying and saying and hearing God say, why don't you ask that person to come along to this? Why don't you come along with them, maybe, for the first time? Now then, Ruth can't do everyone. And at the end of today, we're hoping that some of you say, at different points in this strategy of getting to knowing people and then producing the opportunity for them to grow in knowledge and so on, I'd like to get stuck in. Perhaps one of the house groups would like to say, we'll run one of the Christianity Explorers for you. We do one every two years. We do one of the, them every two years. We'll do it. Give us the stuff. Let us see what it's all about. Or it may be that others of you will say, well, Ruth and Caroline can't do this on their own all the time, or even do all of them. We'll get alongside Ruth and Caroline and we'll say, look, show us what it's all about. So we can take it on. If you do one a year, it's seven Wednesdays in a year. Do you see what I mean? Now, I'm not arm-twisting either. But I'm saying, if we want people to become Christians in the end, and we all want it, then we are in it together, aren't we? We're in it together. We're praying it together. We're making different friends and we're, we're, we're praying whether it would be right for people to come into this. And some of us are saying, but I can do that. I will give a hand. Are you with me? And then we're going to have some special weeping occasions. Whether they're guest services or some other way of doing it. Occasions which are in your face, no holds barred, 
we're inviting you to hear this person or see this film and we can't make anybody a Christian but we really would like people to become Christians. You know, we're not pulling the wool over your eyes. This is what it's all about. You come and you go but you're your own person. Are you with me? We have to be in your face about these things so that people know what they're coming to, why they're coming to it, and what the limits are. So they're not conned. And we've set up a couple of dates, there, yellow dates on there, for events of that nature. And then again, it's for you to say, well, I think from what... My mate George, you know, we've had these really good discussions over the garden fence. And uh, he did come along to one of these things. I'll ask him if he'd come along to that. But people won't come without invitations because we're a strange place and a different culture. And they need somebody to sit next to them, even macho, especially macho men, coming into a church, something, for something which is specifically Christian. Even if they're earnest in their hearts and want to know more, need somebody who's going to sit there with them. And we hope that people go all the way up that scale and become Christians. There we are. Whether it's the seniors or the youth or the children's team, that was a great, that was a great sewing opportunity, wasn't it? Uh, those guys cycled to um, Bulgaria. But how many people got interested in the, in the Christian perspective of that because of what they considered to be their bravery and their tenacity and so on? It was a great sewing thing. And so in all these things, if you try and put these ideas of the soil and a strategy, we want to sow into people's lives with friendship and love and understanding so that they come to respect the church and want to know a little bit more about what it stands for. They really, not the church so much as Jesus. That's our objective. But then beyond that, some of those people discovering that it's Jesus that makes these people tick want to know more about Jesus because they've heard lots of stuff about him but they don't really know how it all adds up. And so we come to the growing thing, the learning thing. There are different ways of doing the learning thing. For instance, um, midweek sometimes do some parenting courses. I'm not saying that this is the only way to do it. Parenting courses are explicitly Christian in approaching parenting from a Christian perspective. So the parents who come along to that are discovering more and more about the teaching and, and Jesus but his interest in their children, through his interest in their children. You understand? That's a fair comment, isn't it, Caroline? Thank you. I'd hate to say something which wasn't true there. But. So there, there's more than one ways of doing it, and you may have those ideas which we need to know. But can you keep these things in your mind, whether you're at work or midweek? Because we want people to become Christians. And then there will be those um, when you... When you a woman came to see me here years ago. She came and sat in that study out there. And um, she had been learning about Jesus for, 
for, oh, she'd been coming here for a year and learning more and more about Jesus. And she sat in there and now she'd worked it all through. Um, She wanted to be a Christian, she thought. But she was in a hurry. (laughs) She had to do some shopping and then get off somewhere quick. And I thought about praying the prayer with her and decided not to. I thought, this is God's work. So I just said, this is, what you, this is what you need to do. You can do it in your own time, your own way. But you're going to surrender your life to God. And Jesus is going to be your saviour. And you will know it. And he will give you his spirit. And you will know it. But he will want to be your Lord. And between this car park, I don't know if we used it as a car park, and between this place and Waitrose, she became a Christian. and was baptised here later. God, help us to recognise the people that are there, but understand that people come to God from here, (laughs) and it's by faith, and it's a work of God, and not us. Does that make sense? I think that's the end. I had done more talking than I expected to and you've done less than I expected you to and I thank you for being here really as a good congregation. For me, I just want people to know Jesus because there's only one name given among men under heaven by whom we can be saved and brought to God and if they don't know Jesus they've missed life so I want people to know him so